when it just listen carefully the next time you hear that word quality or the word workout being thrown around, it's usually not referring to the long run, even though absolutely the long run is a quality day. Every day is a quality day. That's what I would say. Like your day off is a quality day. Just back to how we began this podcast with why we don't super love run streaks, right? Is because the the rest, like you need the rest. It's the glue that makes the rest of, or even the recovery days. It's the glue that makes the rest of the work fit together. Are you constantly worried about getting injured or you don't know how to get faster as a runner and you want to continue to run for stress relief, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Healthy Runner, the only place that provides you with training tips, injury recovery, and prevention tools with actionable strategies by experts in the running industry so you can develop a stronger running body and feel confident that you can overcome any obstacle as a runner. I'm your host, Dr. Dwayne Scotty, avid runner, running physical therapist and coach, educator, founder of Spark Healthy Runner, where we help dedicated runners get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running with the perfect online running coach, even if you've been told to stop running with an injury or you think coaching is just for fast runners. Learn more about our signature coaching program at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com. Every week on the show, we coach you to grow as a runner, just like the process of building a strong, durable home that will last a lifetime requiring little maintenance. The design and planning is your mindset. The foundation is your strength training. The framing is your run plan. The electrical and plumbing is your nutrition. The insulation, drywall, and flooring is your recovery. The landscaping and exterior is your race strategy. If you master the six parts of growing as a runner, your running will be strong and last long, hitting PRs well into your 40s, 50s, and beyond. Every week, we help a runner just like you build their dream home. I'm your host, Dr. Dwayne Scotty. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Before we get into this episode, if you are looking for a nutritional advantage to increase mental focus, strength, and endurance during those runs and decrease the recovery time between those hard effort sessions, you will want to check out Perform from the Amino Company. Later on in this episode, I will tell you more about Perform and how it can help you stay focused, get harder workouts in, and improve overall recovery on your journey of becoming a stronger, faster, lifelong, injury-free runner. Or you can check out the research for yourself at aminoco.com slash healthy runner. Have you ever been in the situation that a runner says something and you're just wondering, like, what the heck does that mean? That is what we're clarifying today. We're talking running terminology or what are the terms that runners say that we just wish they knew what they were talking about? Welcome to episode 213 on the Healthy Runner Podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. And today I get to chat again with a fellow coach, podcaster, physio, the amazing Carolyn Coffin. Thank you so much for coming back on the show for your fourth appearance. Fourth appearance. Wow. I'm totally honored and really, really excited to be here again. I am just... uh 
really been waiting, honestly, for this conversation. I'm not going to lie. It's something I've been journaling about last night, this morning, things I was looking forward to. I'm like, I'm looking forward to chatting with Carolyn today because we're going to have some fun really clarifying some terms that I know when I first started running, I definitely did not know. And you kind of learn as you go. So I'm really hoping that this can really help the runners in our community kind of early in the running journey. Um, or even if you're like been doing this for a couple of years, I think you still may learn something today. So <laughs> we're going to really provide some clarity on those common terms. So whether, you know, you were wondering like, what is a corral or what is cadence or what's a shakeout run or what does it mean to be like a net downhill or what's a point to point race versus an out and back race, positive splits, negative splits. Like we're going to get into, we're going to get into a lot today. So I'm really looking forward to having fun, but in case someone was, you know, maybe listening to the healthy runner podcast for the first time ever, they never heard any of the amazing content that you have shared on the show. Can you just give us a little intro of who you are and what you do? Yes. Um, so my name's Carolyn Coffin. I'm a, well, I'm a former physiotherapist. I don't practice physio anymore. I'm a former physiotherapist turned run coach and podcaster. So I feel like you and I have a lot in common. Um, I'm from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So it's pretty much central Canada. It's normally extremely cold here in the winter. And we are having one of the nicest winters on record thing. I was out chipping ice on my driveway today like it was melting it felt like april <laughs> and it felt like spring but it is still technically january so we're i'm loving that trying to get outside lots i'm currently um recovering from a little bit of an injury but i'm happy to say that i'm progressing in the right direction and i'm finally running 30 minutes continuously again <laughs> and i've dropped my walk intervals so that's making me very happy these days and uh yeah, I'm uh, the host of the Inspired Souls podcast with my friend and trail ultra runner, Kim Sankey. And we have almost 200 conversations on air that you can go and check out. And we talk to trail runners, road runners. We feel like everybody has a story. If you run, you are a runner. And um, I'm just endlessly fascinated by everybody's stories. Yeah. And guys, if you haven't checked out the Inspired Souls podcast, you have to check it out. Um, I just love the conversations that you have with Kim. And I'm so excited because Kim also agreed to come back on the Healthy Runner podcast to do an episode just like we're going to do, but just all trail running specific. So for yeah. you trail runners out there, like you're going to get your fill in uh, Kim's um, discussion and that episode that we're going to do. But if you are new to our audience and you want to learn a little bit more about maybe trail running versus road running, then go check out episode 108 in which Carolyn and Kim came on the show to talk about some of those differences. And if you're really looking forward or you want some more clarity on how you should be looking at your yearly annual planning as a runner, check out episode 160 in which uh, Carolyn shared some great, great tips on like how to set smart goals for running, what's a good like five-year plan. We talked, you know, yearly running goals. We talked ABC goals and like top five mistakes when it comes to setting your running goals. And at the time of this recording, we're at the beginning of another new year. So we always joke about this, that we kind of always record on each other's podcast uh, during January months. January or February is like our time uh, yep. that we always do a recording. So that 
definitely that episode that we recorded last year, certainly pertinent, like especially right now for where mm-hmm. people are in their running journey, usually during this quote unquote off season. So if you are you know, thinking about how do I plan this whole thing out, go check out episode 160. I think you're going to find um, a lot of value there. And then um, I still need to thank you again. I've thanked you so many times, but I'll thank you publicly again uh, for episode 200, the big celebration episode in which we switched roles and you were the host and you were asking me questions on my own show. So thank you again. If you guys did listen to that episode 200 and you enjoyed it and you were wondering who that person was, it was Carolyn. So she is uh, who was asking me all the questions. Uh, So thank you again for that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this fourth appearance on the show and yeah, let's get, let's get into this here. So this is like, Running terminology 101 or the things that runners say. So let's go with this one first. Run streaker. What's a run streaker? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure your mind could go somewhere else. Um, but uh, what a run streaker is, is somebody that simply runs every day in a row, like a set distance without fail. They get up, they run every single day. I believe there is like a whole website and there's people that have been doing it for decades. And we actually interviewed somebody on our podcast that had done it for 31 years and something. Um, so that he was wow. one of the one of the longest run streakers, not the longest one, but there's, yeah, there's a whole website and rules and everything. I believe the minimum is a mile a day though, to keep your run streak alive. Does that right. sound familiar to you? I'm not an expert. Yeah, so they run, run with clothes on, right? They run with clothes. That's what I meant. <laughs> Your mind might have gone there first, but no, it's definitely, it definitely did. we're clothed, but we're going at least a mile. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. And yes, if you guys have heard me talk about this topic on the show before, you do know that I value um, recovery is a part of the training mm-hmm. and it is one of our six. One of our steps in our six steps to how we grow as runners is taking rest and recovery days. Um, so um, I think you share my belief in, um, you know, we're not big fans of run streaks. And I'm always a fan of people getting into running. And if if you use the streak to develop the habit, yeah. um, I'm okay with that because now you're, now you're in our community. Now you've taken up running, you have the habit. But usually what it comes down to is now finding the right way how to train as runners for longevity. And that's what um, Carolyn and I uh, certainly value. So hence Mm -hmm. why um, we don't believe uh, that runners really should be using that as a form of training in order to meet their next running goal. Um, But Mm -hmm. thank you for clarifying what a run streaker is. All right. How about this one? Singlet. Yes, a singlet. So this one baffled me when I first got into running and I'd hear people talking about singlets and I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. But, you know, through context, you can figure out, I guess they're talking about the shirt that they're wearing. But why are they called? It's it's basically a tank top. It's a running tank top, but it's called a singlet when you wear it for running and it's just called a tank top every other time. So it baffles me. There's probably some history as to why it's called a singlet, but um, that's what that's what a singlet is. Yeah, so you can be married and still wear a singlet <laughs> when you're running. And then have others. It doesn't this become just, a doublet. <laughs> this just came to my mind randomly. Uh, running kit? Like, yeah, I never yeah. knew what that was, honestly, until like six months ago, literally. And that was like, I've been running for 10 or 11 years in my adult onset running journey. Uh, mm-hmm. What's a running kit? <laughs> Yeah. A running kit is essentially, I mean, I think we, we typically think of this with the professional runners and they put their kit on for a race day. So it's basically like everything that you're wearing and outfitting yourself with 
on race day, but it can transfer over to the everyday runner. Here's my kit. And oftentimes we'll take that photo that like flat Stanley or whatever, whatever you call it. Like here's what I'm going to look like tomorrow during my race. So that's your kit, everything right from the sunglasses and the, the shorts and the shoes and the compression socks or whatever, whatever you choose to wear. That's my understanding of kit. Do you, does that jive with what you know? Yeah. It's essentially what you're going to wear for your race. Yeah. Right. Yep. Race day gear. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know why it's called a kit. <laughs> exactly. Again, there's right. probably some history to to that, and we I probably should have done my homework a bit better. But uh, <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. That was perfect. Uh, what about super shoe? What's so super about a super shoe? <laughs> yeah. So super shoes. I I had never heard the term super shoe until maybe the last five to seven years when kind of that that. I believe the first one was that Nike um, Vaporfly or Next Percent or that that original shoe that Elliot Kipchoge was wearing in that um, Breaking Two project back in kind of the 2016 to 2018, 19 era. And so Nike led the charge on that from my understanding and really developed this shoe that, you know, it had special foam and a carbon fiber plate and it made you more economical, more efficient, made you recover faster so you could get more work in without beating up your body. And um, all of that translated into an advantage on, on race day. And it you know, depending on who you talk to can afford you minutes, um, like one, one to several minutes, um, improvement in the marathon distance by wearing these, these shoes. So every brand since then has kind of, um, caught up and developed their own type of super shoe, but it's essentially that special race day shoe that's going to give you an advantage. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So it is this race day shoe. And, you know, even back then I always looked at them or heard about them as like the carbon plated shoes. And now I think the terminology has shifted. I've noticed, um, in the last, honestly, only like two years, I feel like I never even heard the term super shoe before a year or two ago, honestly. And now it's all like super shoes because it is more than the carbon plate and that we're finding out is it's like the geometry design of the shoe and the foams and the technology and the foams that they use in these shoes has just like advanced exponentially. So Mm -hmm. if you guys are hearing that term super shoe, it is a specific race day shoe. Um, It's definitely not something that at least I personally don't feel that you would want to use every day. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is really that lighter uh, performance based like shoe that you're going to pull out for your specific race that you're really looking to kind of get a fast time in. Yep. Perfect. All right. How about cadence? Cadence just simply refers to the number of steps that you take per minute. So um, if you have a fancy watch, it'll often record your cadence, even your, your, iPhone will record your cadence through the health app. So you can sort of look at that and know, like, am I taking 180 steps a minute, 160 steps a minute, but it's typically for running, it's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. So I I think that's good. And I I definitely need to do, honestly, like a deep dive episode on cadence. It's been on my to-do for years now. I just haven't (laughs) ever done one, but uh, just simply, at least I'll kind of frame it for, for those that are like new to cadence is we just want to make sure that it's not too slow. And especially we're going to get to, you know, types of runs, but for your easy runs, um, sometimes people 
slow down and they run easy, but they, I like to call it like slow and sloppy and they <laughs> slow down their cadence. So it, it is really just making sure that cadence is at a good number and a good number is definitely variable and it doesn't need to be 180. And that's like been a myth that's been busted. So, you know, <laughs> many of my runners, when I'm looking at that variable, I really want to make sure they're at least in the one sixties and, you know, see what, what is their cadence like over time and like, see if you notice a pattern and trend and if it correlates to a specific injury that they have and or running form or if they have knee pain, then yes. that's when I am kind of trying to change that variable of cadence maybe a little mm -hmm. bit um, and to try to kind of speed that up. So just to yep. give everyone a little brief in case you didn't know about cadence. Um, love it. How about RPE? What is Ooh. RPE? Yep. So RPE stands for rating of perceived exertion. So it's just a way to approximate how hard you're working. Um, often coaches will even assign uh, runs based on RPE. So if you're going out for an easy run, you may be, the, the coach may be saying to you, I want this to be easy. I want it to be like a three out of 10 or a, a four out of 10. Like it should feel easy. You should be able to carry on a conversation. It should feel comfortable and controlled, that kind of thing. So it's just a way that we're all kind of speaking the same language when we're talking about effort. And then if that same coach is like, okay, you're going to go out and do 400 meter repeats on the track, you may be getting up into that eight, nine out of 10, kind of like, we want this to be hard. And then we're going to give you two, three minutes of recovery in between. So just again, so everybody's sort of on the same page with what's expected of me in this run. And it's, it's a really nice way for people to um, kind of understand, you know, if you, if you are very honest with yourself after a run and you're, you were assigned an easy run, go out and run 40 minutes easy and you come back and you're like, no, that was, I was kind of breathing. <laughs> like I couldn't talk in full sentences. Like that was more of a five or a six. That's a way for you to say, okay, that wasn't an easy run. And next time I'll try to keep it a little bit easier. Yeah. And I think it's just such a fantastic way um, for us to listen to our bodies and make sure that we're running at the proper intensity Yes, And I do find that runners struggle with RPE, especially the type A runners that mm -hmm. need numbers, mm -hmm. because if you think about it, like RPE is going to be determined by other variables that is going to change the goal of that run for that day. Whereas if you didn't sleep correctly, if you're under an extreme amount of stress, if you just had, right, like a death in the family, if you, all of those other variables are going to affect how running at a nine minute per mile pace feels mm -hmm. versus a day where you're feeling amazing. You got great sleep. You ate properly. It's the first, you know, warmer day out in the season and you're just out there. It's just a beautiful day. You're enjoying nature and you're like, this is amazing. And that yeah. nine minute pace feels super easy. Yep. Right. So. Yep. And I, I think, think we a smart way to train. Sorry. Absolutely. I think we do tend to fall into that. Like, this is my easy pace. But as you just said, your easy pace is impacted so significantly by the other things that are going on in your life. The the weather, like it, try running nine minute pace on a hot and humid day. It doesn't feel the same as running nine minute pace on a 50 degree day. Right. So it's all of that. Have you slept? Do you have a lot of life stress going on? Like what is all going on? And that's where RPE can be a 
more reliable way to check in with yourself or or even heart rate for that matter um, can be just a, a more uh, accurate way to check in and, and make sure that you're staying honest with all of that. And I would argue it's the more efficient and effective way to train, right? Because once you can master that, and I find that a lot of our athletes that we work with in the beginning struggle with this concept and, and understanding it. Mm-hmm. And they just feel like, oh, I can't rate. It's almost like when you would ask them what their pain rating is, zero to 10. And they like literally like, you know, it's like the most uncomfortable conversation because they don't want to give a number because it's so subjective and it's hard to give you a number. Same thing with RPE sometimes, right? It's like, oh, I don't know. It was easy. And they like don't want to lock down a number. But the more that you can be able to classify and identify that, yes, this run felt at a five out of 10 for me, mm-hmm. or it felt like really easy. It was a three out of 10. Or, you know what, this run, like I was starting to breathe heavy. I wasn't like dying, like, you know, I'm like, you know, going to puke or anything, but I was like at a seven or an eight, right? Like it, it helps you be able to provide that feedback loop that you need to like maximize (laughs) your training and improve your performance. And then the other thing I'll add to this is a lot of times we see novice runners say, I want to run a sub four marathon. I want to run a sub two half marathon. And you arbitrarily take these numbers out. You pull up a calculator and say, what should my training paces be? And then you go out trying to hit that training pace and all of your runs and you're winding up actually running at a higher level than you probably should be for yeah. those runs. And then you're wondering like either why you got injured or why you didn't actually you know, perform well. And yeah. it's because you were actually outside of the zone of training that you should have been in. So exactly. that's why we like love RPE. And I do find that it's such a struggle for some athletes, right? To like embrace it initially. It, it is a struggle. And I think it's because it actually is a skill to be able to accurately rate yourself on, like you have, you have to have some reps under your belt, you know, to, you have to know what a 10 is in order to be able to identify a 10, right? And so if you're a new runner, you maybe haven't done runs that get you up to a 10. Like you haven't raced, you haven't done 400 meter repeats on the track. So you don't even know what a 10 is, right? And so don't be too hard on yourself at the beginning. If you're like, I don't know how to rate it. Sometimes that's where I'll be going off of heart rate too. Like maybe that combination of the heart rate and what you're saying your RPE is. But again, you'll develop this skill over time by at the end of every run, maybe when you're logging it, over to Strava or something, you can actually fill in uh, the notes and say like, what, what do I think that was on a, on a scale of zero to 10? And you'll hone in on that as you get more practice with it. But what I will say, so number one mistake, and I know you and I um, have talked about this before, but most of us just when left to our own, own devices, especially when we're new runners, will go too hard on our easy days. And it can be a disastrous mistake because it can lead to injury and illness and burnout and hating it and all of this stuff. Um, I think that y- you don't have to be running to be in the right zone running like an easy day can actually include some walk breaks and most likely should include some walk breaks in the beginning as you're as you're taking up the sport so just because you put a one minute walk break in a few times in your 30 minute run doesn't make the whole thing void right it's it's probably the smartest thing that you can do Uh, that's perfect example um 
because that literally happened to me yesterday. It was probably like one of the worst uh, easy runs I had because, and I know why, it was because I ate way too late on Sunday night and I ate foods that don't agree with my stomach. And I just felt terrible for that easy run. Like luckily it was able to recapture in the gym and my workout went a lot better. But um, yeah, no, that's a great example. And I walked like multiple times um, during that run just to keep it in the easy zone that it needs to be because it felt so darn hard. Um, So it's a great example. And what I heard from you there is just having that like self-awareness and being able to reflect on how your runs felt will help you uh, master RPE and become a better runner um, over time. And it, it does get better with experience and practice. So thank you for bringing that point up and you kind of mentioned easy run. So why don't we go there? Like what is an easy run and is it the same thing as a recovery run? Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a great question because coaches will throw these different terms around and sometimes people are like, what, what, what's the difference? You know? Um, so many people have heard of, and I, I know this is on our list to, to touch on is the zones like zone training. So you've heard of, um, zones one through five to me, the recovery run, like that's your easiest run of the week. You're not trying to, so that would be a zone, zone one in, in my world, zone one. So you're not trying to build fitness when you're doing a recovery run. This might be programmed the day after a long run, the day after a race, something like that, the day after a workout, maybe. And a recovery run is simply, you're just trying to get the blood flowing, um, to promote, you know, healing and you're trying to finish that run, you go whatever pace you need to, that could be a run walk in order to finish feeling better than you started. It's amazing how many times I've gone on a recovery run. It's a slog. It does not feel good at the beginning. So I just give myself self permission to go as easy as I need to go. And as slow as I need to go, whether I throw some walk breaks in there, I'm totally fine with it. And by the end of the, the run, it's like, wow, I feel really good now. Like it's amazing. So motion is lotion. Um, we got to move to heal. And so that's to me what a recovery run is. And that's where, again, on that zone model, it'd be like that zone one, you know, just like super low heart rate, um, maybe some walk breaks and um, a co- very conversational pace. And on that RPE, probably like three out of 10. Love it. Okay? So it definitely one of the runs where you're not looking at your pace, not making judgments, not like, you know, your self-worth is not being like, you know, evaluated on how slow you're going. Like the slower, the better is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And I'll sometimes flip it in, in my, um, training. I'll sometimes be like, I wonder how slow I can go. Because the thing is you're building aerobic capacity through this very wide range of running paces. And if you can build aerobic capacity at the easiest end of it. Why not? Right? Like why stress yourself any more than necessary? So sometimes I will make a game out of it. I wonder how easy I can do this recovery run. And instead of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas maybe on an, so an easy run to me would be more like zone two, if people have heard of zone two trainings. So on the easy, on the easy run, it's just, you're not as focused on keeping it super slow. It's just, again, back to the RPE, it would probably be somewhere around four out of 10 on an easy day. So it's subtle. And again, if you're a new runner, there might not be a ton of difference between your recovery run and your easy run. Whereas when you've been running a long time, like I can definitely tell the difference between a recovery run and an easy run for me. It, It could be in the neighborhood of 30 seconds per kilometer 
different, which is more like, I think, 40 some seconds per mile different. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right. And you mentioned kind of the zones. Do you mind just kind of, you mentioned zone one, zone two. How about, what are the other zones? Okay. So it goes up to zone five. So zone three would be more like if you've heard of tempo or threshold running, um, that's usually where what the kind of effort that we're talking about. So the way I like to describe it is your one hour race effort. So if you were to think about going out for one hour, how far can you go in one hour? For most people, it's somewhere in the 10 to 15 kilometer range. So what would that be? Six to nine miles or or so. Um, So it's not a sprint, but it's sort of that higher end aerobic work. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So you're kind of breathing heavy. You're not huffing and puffing. You can get out a couple words usually, but you're not talking sentences. Correct. Yep. That's a great way, a a great distinguisher. Because again, um, if you want to get super nerdy, this is where your um, second ventilatory threshold happens. So you can, you can notice that change in your breathing. So that talk test, you know, where you can go from telling a great big long story to like, oh, now I'm just getting out a few words and I'm not, I'm all of a sudden, like, have you ever been running with somebody and you're chat, 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 and then you get going and you're doing, you're doing a workout or something that might fall in this zone three. And then all of a sudden it's crickets and silence (laughs) (laughs) until the workout's done. And then you're talking again. So that talk test is, um, I believe it, and you might be able to, to back me up on this. Has that been validated in the research? I'm not sure if it has, tell you the truth. I don't know mm-hmm. from a research standpoint, but I know that's what I've heard. And, um, you know, personally, I can say that that is usually the case, even though I'm not a great talker, even in my easy zone. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me to, you know, full-blown conversations, but yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. So that's zone three. Yeah. And then zone, zone four and zone five, like those are, we're starting to do some real serious work in, in those zones. So zone four, um, the way that I usually describe it, it's kind of like your five and 10 K races would fall in this zone four. Like it's pretty, pretty challenging. And so, um, we would be doing, that might be where your 400 meter repeat workout would fall into, or, you know, your 5k race, like I mentioned, And then zone five, that is your all out. So that would be maybe a race that takes about five minutes. Like it might be your, like an 800 meter race, like those middle distances would typically fall in the zone five. All right. So So probably most of you listening to this are never there usually. Yeah. You're doing a 5k or above. You're probably never training in that zone or you're like redlining essentially. It's like the end of a race where you're leaving yes. it all out there. You're Exactly. But we may be doing workouts that incorporate zone five. So if you were doing 200 meter repeats on the track and you did, you know, 10 of those or, or something in your yeah. workout with rest in between those little snippets at, of like getting that 200 meters done is in zone five, but you're never there for very long in, in a well-structured workout. You would never want to do big chunks of time at zone five. Got it. All right. Perfect. All right. Thank you for clarifying the zones. I wanted to take a quick pause from this episode to talk about a topic that I am extremely passionate about, and that is strength training in order to run so we can improve our performance by running faster or running longer. 
And we can also prevent the all too common stubborn running related injuries when we do the strength training. So do you want to know how I get in my strength training, how I remain focused for my gym sessions, and how I'm able to recover after the hard marathon specific training that I've been working on? I've been using Amino Company's product Perform for over two years now as a truly healthy pre-workout as opposed to some of those crazy, highly caffeinated drinks that you're going to see out there that just give you jitters and then you wind up crashing. Perform is an essential amino acid-based formulation that I simply add to water, I throw it in my shaker bottle, and I have it 30 minutes before a run or a gym workout. It tastes great and is extremely easy on your stomach. Perform helps improve mental focus, peak strength, endurance, reduces fatigue, and increases muscle protein synthesis so you can recover faster from your runs or your strength sessions. And I'm not just saying that from like an N is one, my personal experience. I actually brought on one of the leaders in amino acid research, Dr. Robert Wolf on the show back in episode 92 of the podcast. If you want a deep dive on the effects, the literature, tune in, listen to my chat with Dr. Wolf. You'll be as impressed as I was. And I wanted to make sure that I was putting something that was actually healthy into my body. And so I checked out the real research and the science on this product. And since you are a part of our Healthy Runner community, you can save 30% off by using the code HEALTHYRUNNER. Just head to aminoco.com forward slash healthy runner. You have to use the special link I put in the show notes to get your 30% off and use the code healthy runner. Now go ahead and give perform a try. I know you're going to love it just as much as I have. Now let's get back into this episode. There are different classifications of zones. So in case you see, you know, four category system versus five or six, um, generally and, speaking, I think you probably presented the most common one that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, I utilized. think five is very common in our world as distance runners, but I believe in the research world, it's often based on a three zone model, which is very confusing. So it, it's, it's confusing if you know, the five zone model to then all of a sudden translate it to a three zone model. But I actually think the three zone model is even simpler to understand. It's easy, medium and hard, (laughs) easy, moderate and hard. Right. So, but what, what they're talking about as zone one in the three zone model would sort of be zones one and two in the five zone model. And then Mm -hmm. three and three and four are kind of zone two in the research model. And then hard is hard. Like zone five is zone three. So I, I probably just confused absolutely everybody, but I think three, the three zone model and the five zone model are the most common ones that you will hear. But this brings me to a really um, important point about this is that if you are ever having a conversation with somebody about zones, you probably, especially if it's a coach prescribing you a workout, let's say you want to make sure that you're talking the same language (laughs) because (laughs) if a coach says you know go out and do zone five work and they're talking about a three zone model and you think that it's a five zone model you could be doing an entirely different workout 
than than what was intended. So you just want to make sure that you're on the same page. And and truly, this is one of the kind of common running terms that I feel like we think we have a shared definition of and and often we're we're we not on the same page. Yeah. Right. Okay. Got it. All right. How about this term here? Um, you know what, Carolyn, tomorrow on my schedule, I got a workout planned. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. A workout. Okay. So in my understanding of a workout, this is when you have something kind of other than easy mileage, like easy recovery day, long run, like just those would all be run at a very easy, like kind of that zone one, zone two that we talked about. Typically, if it's easy, then you're like, okay, I'm going for an easy run. But if it's a workout, then you're incorporating some of those faster paces between zones three and five, likely for portions of the run. So it might be go out and run, you know, your one hour race pace um, for six minutes and take a two minute break and repeat that four times. That might be like a sort of a classic, like broken tempo type of workout. And you call that a workout because there's some of this uh, faster paced work in it. So that's my understanding. Um, but when Kim and I discussed this on our podcast and you can go and listen to our discussion there. And she's like, I, I would kind of argue with you. Are you saying that my 22 mile long runs, not a workout or it's not quality. And it's like, yeah, like there's an argument to be made that if your run is like extra long for whatever reason, even though the pace isn't fast, it's, it's a quality workout because of how long it is if that makes any sense. Right. But so, I think that's not usually how it's meant. It's usually referring to these like, you know, workouts. Yeah. So what you're referring to is sometimes uh, people use workouts and, you know, my uh, gym rat days immediately went to like, you're going to the gym, you're working out, right? <laughs> um, you're doing strength training. <laughs> no, like some people will talk about running workouts in the context yeah. that you just gave, but they're also used that interchangeable term of like quality runs or yeah. pace work, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I'm doing That's a great. run workout or pace uh, work in my <laughs> run tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I, I respect Kim's point there about quality. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, that can, but a lot of times people, when they say a quality run, it usually will refer to a faster run, I'll call it. You're doing speed work. We'll use that in quotes of anything faster than an easy run is yeah. essentially speed work. You're running faster for that intended day. But then also sometimes people will put the quality is your long run, like because for half marathon and marathon training, yeah. like the long run is essential for you exactly. to be successful in the half marathon distance and the marathon different distance for sure. And you know, we would argue the 10K and the 5K distance. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so those could also be used as like quality runs. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But I think that's when it just listen carefully the next time you hear that word quality or the word workout being thrown around. It's usually not referring to the long run, even though absolutely the long run is a quality day. Every day is a quality day. That's what I would say. Like your day off is a quality day. Just back to how we began this podcast with why we don't super love run streaks, right? Is because the the rest, like 
you need the rest. It's the glue that makes the rest of, or even the recovery days. It's the glue that makes the rest of the work fit together and, and produce the outcome that you want. So in that sense, nothing is more quality than anything else, because really it's quality if you achieved the purpose of the day. <laughs> but back to like how it's actually used on the street, I don't think that's how it's used on the street. Right, right. Like the word quality, when you think of it, like you want to get, you know, whatever, this running vest is like Lululemon. It's like high quality, right? Like right. you want a good quality vest. You don't want like a cheap vest that's going to rip and break and maybe not provide you enough, you know, heat, right? It's not going to keep you warm enough. Um, yeah. So you put like quality on this pedestal, right? You in do. our yeah. like interpretation of what that means. So I think what you're saying is like, you don't want to just put the speed work or the quote unquote workouts on this <laughs> pedestal that it's yeah. so much more important and better. And maybe I should do more of it than right. the easy runs or the rest and recovery days. Yeah. Because yeah. you need all of those to become a better runner is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. You nailed it. You said okay. it way better than I did. <laughs> okay. No, no, I, I definitely did it, but, um, all right. Perfect. And then how about this one? Cause I didn't know what this was, um, before I really became a run coach, even as I was a running physical therapist for many years, I didn't even know what strides were. What are yeah. strides? Like people yeah. say strides or striders. Are they mm -hmm. like the same thing? What are Wait. strides? They are the same thing and they're typically done. So they're short bouts of fast running. That's all they are. And by short, I mean like 15 to 30 seconds. And typically we put strides at the end of a run. So what it may be at the very end or in the, I usually prescribe them in the second half of a run for people. So let's say you're going out for a 40 minute run, you might run 20 minutes. And then in the next 20 minutes, you're going to um, picture the straightaway of a track, like that distance. So about a hundred meters or so. I don't know how far that is in feet for the American, American. No, we, we, we talk, when we talk track, we talk meters now. Oh, yeah. Okay, so perfect, we all perfect. know what that is. Okay. <laughs> we is, do not measure yards? that feet. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah I guess it would yards. be like the length of a football field. So I guess a hundred yards, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Too funny. Um, but basically picture that length and, and break that length into thirds. You're going to take the first third and just go from your easy pace and gradually accelerate up to kind of like 95% of your top end speed. It's not a full on sprint. You're not going from easy to as fast as you can in the matter of a second, but you're going to gradually accelerate up to that sort of top end speed. You're running with really excellent form for kind of that middle third of the straightaway of the track. And then you're just going to cruise out of it. You're going to gradually decelerate back to your easy jog pace. And then I usually get people to run easy for a minute or a minute and a half in between and then do it again. So repeat that maybe four, six, eight times in that second half of a run, or some people will do it, like I said, at the end of the run and they'll do the stride and the stri or the strider, and then they'll walk back to the start and then do it again, do it again, do it again. And what it does, it's, it's sort of like a nice way to inject some speed and the benefits that you get from doing speed work. So kind of that neuromuscular benefit, it's like harder on the musculoskeletal system and everything, but without the downside of doing a lot of work at that 
high intensity. So you just get just enough to kind of keep everything firing. It's very hard to run back to what you said earlier that sometimes on the easy days, the the cadence can slow down into the 150s. It's easy to run sloppy when you're running slow. Conversely, it's very difficult to run sloppy when you're running fast. So it's just a way to kind of drill that really excellent running form and economy speed, power, all of the goodness of that in just like a very palatable bite-sized chunk. Oh my goodness. I loved your explanation and things I heard there guys, like take home. I heard you say like form efficiency, because that is the goal of these is to improve your running form. And we kind of, some people will call this a drill, right? So like you're, it's a drill to improve your running form. And I heard neuromuscular. So Mm -hmm. we're training like your brain to send the signals to your muscles to run more efficiently, as opposed to training cardiovascular speed, performance, endurance. Those aren't the goals. It's more to help that form. And I love, you know, for my injured runners, right? Like coming back from injury, this is like testing the waters, right? This is the first step. And even for my novice runners who are starting out and they've never done quote unquote speed work or a workout uh, where we don't like the word, but quality run uh, before, then I'll always program and start out with strides. And it is because it doesn't put that strain on the cardiovascular system that you're huffing and puffing. So for my going back again, as my adult onset runner, Dwayne, first thought of these, I did think these were, I got like a flashback to childhood physical fitness days. This is the shuttle run. You pick an Mm -hmm. eraser up, you sprint as fast as you could before the person next to you, put down the eraser, pick up the next one, run back. And I sucked at those because I I was not explosive whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I was made for more endurance. So I guess that's why now I I, I love the marathon distance, um, which is good because I'm not great at sprinting. Um, that's what I thought they were initially like, Oh, run it hundred meters on the track. I like, I remember going on the track and I was like, all right, I got this. I'm like, you seen bolt. Here I go. Right. Like watching the Olympics. I'm like, Oh, this is like nothing. I'm, I'm like trying to go all out. And my form is terrible. Cause I'm just trying to run way too fast. Like in my yeah. mind, it was a sprint. So I love that you talked about that. And I like to kind of describe this as like, it's relaxed, faster running and you're practicing, yes. trying to relax your body, not tense up, not bring your shoulders up to your ears, not mm-hmm. clench your fists super hard. You're actually focusing on nice, relaxed running form and you're just getting the legs to turn over at yep. a faster rate. And then the other element that I love about these is they're fun. They they're are not fun. Like, too stressful. Like you mentioned before, when you're doing repeat 200s or you know, 400 repeat miles, like it could be like really hard, somewhat painful. And like, these are fun, right? (laughs) They they are fun. (laughs) And you know what my clients will often tell me, like, so say I I give a lot of like, you know, 40 minute, like easy run, you know, 40 or 50 minutes or something like that. And some of those I will put strides in, right? Like I often I'll use them the day before a harder effort or a quality run or a workout or a race, I'll put strides in. And and just simply that act of turning the legs over quickly, like really firing, um, you know, that neuromuscular, like forming those neuromuscular connections and everything. What that'll do the next day when you do your workout or you do your race is that all of a sudden, like you're primed, you're ready to go. Like all of that hard work the next day does feel easier for having done the strides the day before. Um, 
I think I was building to a point there, but I can't remember <laughs> what it was. Um, but what I did want to say is that um, it is what, what to your point that you do want to be embedding really good, relaxed, like re relaxed running is fast running. If you ever watch sprinters and they zoom in on their face in like the 100 meters, <laughs> their face is bouncing up and down because they're so relaxed. They're putting it all into the run. And so that's the type of thing you want to be thinking about when you're doing the strides. And for most distance runners, I find kind of mild to three or mile to 5k pace is about the the kind of effort you want to be working on the stride so again they're not full on 100 meter sprint type of of effort but you know if you were to picture going out and running your fastest mile or your fastest 5k it's somewhere around that that you're holding that that speed for that middle section of the 100 meters yeah and i've definitely begin to respect these more and more in the last year or two as you know, my coach has integrated them usually twice into the, the weekly rotation, no matter what phase I'm at and, um, or doing it like with speed work and then, you know, doing strides as the other speed day before maybe even a long run. Um, as opposed to, I think a lot of novice runners. And I, again, especially if you're up in my age category and you're in your, your forties here and you're just kind of fairly new to running and you get one of the generic plans online and they have you doing like a track day and then you're doing a yeah. tempo run day and you're doing a long run. Like I've found that is way too much, um, way for most too hard. Yeah. Masters runners. Um, yes. so strides are a great way to work on that running form, get the leg turnover and not actually put too much stress in to the body. So you yep. can stay healthy and be able yep. to, you know, continue training. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is great. Can we get into some race specific, yes. um, topics and maybe we'll go like rapid fire. Dwayne will try to like zipper his mouth and not try to give his take on everything. And I'll just get like Carolyn's like take and definitions. Cause we got a lot of terms and I would love to be able to cover them all. What do you think? Think we could do this like a little spark lightning Let's round. Give it a go. Yeah. All right, here we go. These are race specific terms. Uh, shakeout run. Okay. So a shakeout run, I'll often give the day before a race, just a super easy run. So think even recovery run, easy run, zone one, zone two. Um, it might be again, before a, a race, it might be like a 15 to 30 minute, super easy run. And we might throw some strides in there the day before the race to sort of just shake the legs out, get everything primed and ready to go for race day. So again, it's a, when I got thinking about this one, I'm like, why do we call it a shakeout? Because it's very similar to a recovery or an easy day. Um, why do I call it a shakeout run the day before the race? I don't know. I got it from someone who probably got it right. from someone who probably got it from someone. And that's what we mean when we say a shakeout run. I think of it for those that are even traveling a lot, right? In car rides, planes, you're shaking out stiff legs, but then also shaking nerves out too, right? The day before. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if you don't run the day before, a lot of people think I, I don't want to run. I don't want to warm up. I don't want to waste my energy. Right. Sometimes if you don't do that, it you'll feel sort of flat on race day. All right. Let's talk courses. What does a certified course mean? 
Okay. So a certified course just means that some certifying body, like um, probably in the States, it's USATF, United States. um, USA Track and Field. USA Track and Field. In Canada, it's Athletics Canada, AC, um, will often certify a course. Okay. Yep. We've come and looked at your course. It's the right distance. It's, you know, it's Set, it, it, yeah, I think it's to do with the distance for the most part, but it's, um, you know, verifying that this course is what it says it is. Perfect. So what about if I'm considering a race and I see like point to point race? What does that mean? Yeah, point to point. It's kind of what it sounds like. It's going to start at one spot and it's going to finish at a totally other spot. It's not a loop that's going to bring you back where the start and finish line would be the same. I, I understand it to be the start and finish line are two different places. And it's generally, if you think about point to point, it's like a straight line, <laughs> but I suppose not always. Right. So <laughs> the, the infamous like Boston course is a point to point. I know yeah. you've run that before. Yeah. CIM is also point to point. So those are, those are two sort of well-known ones. And you do need to basically take transportation usually, right. To get to the start line where I guess yes. maybe yeah, obviously you're not going to take transportation to get to the finish line, but you might take transportation to get back to the start line if like all of your stuff is at the start line, right? But they yeah, usually exactly. like bus you out to the start line. Is that Yeah, no, that's typical? a good distinction because, and I guess New York would even fall in this too, like where they have to, t- you got to take the ferry or the bus out to Staten Island because you're starting out there and then you're running your way back to the finish line. So logistically these, these runs, especially when they're races can be like, but I have done them even on long runs. Like I want to run from here to, you know, 20 miles North of here, but then I've got to phone somebody and (laughs) have them come and get me. So point to point usually comes with some, some extra logistics as, as you would see in, in a Boston or a CIM or a, a New York. I hope you are enjoying this episode and it is providing value for you. I wanted to take a brief moment to share a story of a real runner like you who is struggling with a common problem that you may be facing. Here is one of our athletes who got the guidance, support, and accountability from our Healthy Runner coaching team to get clarity and structure on the six steps to growing as a runner with personalized strength, nutrition, and run plans. I hope their story inspires you that there is hope to either get over your running injury or to continue getting faster or running longer so you can continue to get in those mental clearing miles and enjoy your running journey again. Here is their inspiring story. So I want to talk about my experience um, working with Coach Latoya and getting ready for my very first marathon. Um, I ran my very first marathon on January 7th, 2024 in Disney, in the most magical place on earth. And here it is, um, the medal, the hard earned medal. Um, But I started working with Coach LaToya um, in August. I joined um, Spark Healthy Runners as a um, longevity in the longevity program. Um, so I went into this knowing that I a, needed some accountability because I don't like long runs. Um, so I needed accountability. I needed to get out of my head um, because this will be this would have been the longest distance I have ever run 
Um, and I'm coming into this program with some previous um, foot and ankle injuries. So um, I had some fears um, and that always made me stay stagnant um, in my training. So I felt like I needed some guidance in order to get to the finish line. Um, and I gotta tell you, working with Coach LaToya was amazing. Um, our Between our coaching calls and just the program she set up for me um, made this marathon so much more accessible than I thought. Um, and I can't thank her enough. Um, she helped me not only physically, but mentally. Um, between reassuring that I was, I could do this um, right up to the week before that marathon, uh, when I still had some, you know, fear. Um, she and I had a great conversation um, and I worked with her to um, work on my mental toughness. Um, and I devised a plan with her on how we're, how I was going to get to the finish line. And I made it. Um, I did it. So I can't thank her enough. Um, this has been so helpful for me and I think it's really changed how I see myself as an athlete. I hope sharing that story inspired you and provided you some hope. If you want the one-on-one -on -one structure, accountability, and support from our Healthy Runner coaching team of experts, check out the behind-the-scenes video tour of our signature coaching program you just heard about, including other stories from runners who are just like you and were struggling with the same sticking points before they signed up for our program. Just head to learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com to learn more and book your strategy call with me today. Now let's get back into this episode. So I did just see actually the first marathon uh, that I will be doing point to point is wine glass that I will be yeah. doing this October because all of the other marathons I've run have been more of an out and back or a looped course. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, it's exactly what you just said. So usually with out and back and loops, the, the finish line and the start line are either exactly the same, or I believe back to the certifying, like a, a course will be certified when the start and finish lines are within like 200 meters of each other, I think. So then, you know, you, you can go run in a circle or a, a, a loop, or you can run to a point and then turn around and retrace your steps back in the second half of the race. Yeah. So usually like where you park, right. If you're driving, it's in the same spot where you don't have yeah. to worry about like your car's in a different spot or whatever yeah. family, if they, you know, if people cheering you on, like they'll cheer you on when you start the race. And then, you know, if they don't go out on the course at all, then they'll, they'll be there when you get back. Right. Yeah, exactly. So again, logistics can be a little bit easier in those races. You mentioned looped race, looped courses. And, um, at the time of this recording coming up in a few days is going to be the U S Olympic marathon trials in Orlando. And I think that they are going to run a couple miles. They're going to go somewhere for a couple miles and then they're going to go on a eight mile loop three times. Oh. So when you think about being a spectator for something like that, you could just park yourself somewhere on that eight mile loop and see them three times. So I don't know. I, 
Uh, you were telling me about like what a fan you are. I think you're going to take like my Mickey ears behind me here and head down to Orlando, take the trip from uh, Winnipeg to Orlando. <laughs> I'm so pumped about this race. Like I'm not even American and I'm into <laughs> it. I know everybody that's racing. We have a whole kind of pool, betting pool thing going with uh, several of us. And uh, yeah, I've got my my predictions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So now... What about courses um, looking to run a fast marathon or a fast race? Um, and I, I see this thing that the course description is a net downhill. What does that mean? Yeah, net downhill could be very deceiving. So the first net downhill kind of famous one that I ever ran was Boston. So Boston is a net downhill. What that means what? is you lose more in elevation than you gain. Okay. And so then most people think, oh, good, it's downhill. Like it's going to be like easy. I'm running downhill the whole way. That is not true. It just means that overall you didn't climb as much as you felt, right? But you could have lots of hills within a net downhill course like Boston. Like the Newton <laughs> so, Hills and like the Newton Hill. Hills. There's a lot of climbing up even within a downhill, a net downhill. You could also conversely have a net downhill that literally does just go straight downhill for the whole time. And there are no uphills. And classically, I think there's a whole series called the Revel races. And yes. that's kind of what they're known for. And people will want to like go and get their Boston qualifying time there because as you can imagine it's not as hard on the cardiovascular system when you're running downhill however what most people don't factor in in those kind of courses is just how demanding that is on the musculoskeletal system and until you've ever tried to run straight downhill for 26 miles I don't think you can appreciate just how badly that beats up your legs. And you may not even get that BQ, even though on paper, it seems very easy because of just like how, how difficult it is. It just your quads, like it, from a muscle soreness perspective, like that could ruin your race right there. If and you haven't, you know, done the strength training and the, the practicing running downhill in your training. And for those of you who are going to run a course going downhill, Stay tuned because Coach Lou is actually going to do a whole episode Ooh. on downhill running, how you train for it, and how yeah. to help you in your um, race performance. Um, so yeah. stay tuned to that. Uh, what's taper? Are we talking about like, you know, hemming up your pants or <laughs> no. taking them in? <laughs> nope. So the taper refers to um, it. The length of it's a different length of time depending on what race you're tapering for, but it's that period of time just in front of your race in the few weeks, usually in front of your race that you taper down, you basically pull back on your mileage is what it is. So if we're thinking about mar a marathon taper, you might taper for two to three weeks before where you pull, like say you're used to running 50 miles a, a week in your peak weeks of training. And then you might pull back in that first week to something. I don't, I didn't 36. prep for this part. Yeah. Like you, you might pull. Yeah, exactly. And just taper that mileage down with each passing week of the taper, but you're going to maintain some of that intensity just so that you don't get flat. So your, your legs still do remember how to run fast and everything, but that taper, what it'll do is help to sort of restock your glycogen stores a little bit, let your body kind of bounce back and come around so that you're racing on fresh legs uh, for, for the race. 
Yeah, because when we're training for races, we, we're accumulating fatigue over days, over weeks, over months, right? And that's like what a training block is. So you're really getting your body to be fresh before mm-hmm. your big performance day, right? You want to yes. have fresh legs. You want your body to be fully stocked, right? Glycogen, mm-hmm. all those things. All right, love it. So that's taper. All right, the hay is in the barn. What does <laughs> <Yes>. that mean? <laughs> okay, so um, this, I, I probably say this, in almost all of my marathon, <laughs> the people that I coach, all of their tapers, like at some point in the taper, because what can happen when you start to pull back on that mileage, when you're used to running, say 50 miles a week, and now you're only running 30 or 35, you, you start to like have some people can start to have a little extra time to think like, oh no, I'm losing fitness or start to worry about the race in some way. And what I will always say to them in that situation is don't worry the hay is in the barn. (laughs) And what I mean is there's nothing you can really do in your taper to get fitter. But there's a whole lot that you can do to jeopardize what we've built Mm. in that training cycle. And so it's basically um, a phrase to say, like, don't freak out. (laughs) It's going to be okay. The work is done. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, And I mean, I don't know how totally accurate this is, but I've read that it takes about 10 days for any workout to be sort of like absorbed and fully taken up by the body anyway. So some, especially in that last week of the taper, if people like, let's say they're just so tired and you've got a little workout on their schedule and they just are like bagged. I'm like, just let's, let's skip this workout. It's not getting you fitter. It's just sort of keeping you in the rhythm of training so that you don't, you don't get, um, you know, if I liken it to, if you're used to getting, you know, five hours of sleep a night. And then all of a sudden I'm trying to make you sleep for 10 hours. Like your body is just going to be like, what? That's too big of a change. So if you're used to running 50 miles a week and then all of a sudden you're running nothing, that's going to make you feel really weird and off. So, um, you know, however, like you, you can miss a workout, you can miss, you know, nothing that you do in that taper is really going to get you fitter for the race day. And sometimes trying to push through or power through, and then you get, sick or injured or or something like it's just not worth the risk in in that taper period so the hay is in the barn is just a comforting thing to say to somebody to to make them realize like the work is done so another farmer reference that we use in running a lot is like we talk about corrals (laughs) what the heck is a corral Yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even like really get the farmer reference, but yeah, it's, we're going to corral you. So this is, this refers to kind of all the, it comes into play mostly in really big races. So if anyone has done like world major marathons, like you're going to be corralled at the beginning of the race. So they might break that down into different sections or waves. So I'm in corral A or corral B or corral C and B, usually based on your, say your qualifying time or the time that you think you're going to finish the marathon. So the fast people will be at the start and the slower people or the people that are, might be walking a little bit of the race would seed themselves at, at the back and then everybody in between. So it's just a way to kind of, um, do crowd control, I guess. Yeah. Crowd control. Yeah. So you're not overloading the course. And I just talked about this on my Disney dopey recap, uh, episode, um, because the half marathon, the half of the half marathon, that was 7.1 miles because of weather, they let people out super, the waves very quick and the course was overloaded and (laughs) it was not a lot of good crowd control, but like, that's the purpose of the corrals. And 
for safety wise, it is yeah. best to have it where the faster people are in the front because you don't want, right? Like safety wise, faster people to be like, you know, sprinting out of the gates and there's a lot of, they're dodging, right? Someone's going to like land on mm-hmm. someone's foot, roll an ankle, knock yep. into someone, uh, trip yep. fall, all of those things. So it is like mm-hmm. a safety thing too. Yes. Um, Yep. So, all right. So those are our crowds. So those are what you're going to be like these holding areas, essentially, before you start your race. You're yes. in these little holding areas. And usually they're gated off somehow uh, for that crowd control. All right. Negative split versus positive split. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Um, so a negative split is when you run the second half of your race faster than the first and the opposite for positive split. So the positive split you are slowing down significantly in the second half, um, typically because you've mismanaged your energy and gone out a little bit too fast. Yeah. And I think we've all done that in our initial races and we get a little smarter and we have better race strategy and we all uh, shoot for that elusive negative split, though it doesn't mean you're a f- quote unquote failure or you can't run a fast race if you don't have like an even split or even a positive split, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think if you, so again, sort of back to how we talked with RPE, it's like something that it's a skill, like you need to learn it. And you, the only way to learn it is by practicing it a lot. It's the same thing with the race strategy and, and trying to go for this elusive negative split. Like it does, it feels so good when you can do it, but it requires quite a bit of self-control in the beginning of the race, because no matter the distance, whether you're running a 5k or you're running a marathon, the first third of the race is not going to feel hard. It shouldn't feel hard, even if you're going too fast, because you're fit to run. Um, you've, you've done the training, presumably, right? So you're not going to know that you've gone out too fast until part of the race is behind you. And so the only way you really learn this is by messing it up a few times and and learning and trying again. So it's not a bad thing to have a positive split. But if you look at world records and the way that many, many world records have been set from the 5k up to the marathon, all of them, I, I, somebody, somebody send it to me. If you can find an exception, they're almost all run as negative splits. So they're man and they're such finely tuned athletes, these people that are running world records anyway, but they know themselves so well, they'll be able to feel those different, those subtle differences in pace. So they can hold back in the beginning in order to like unleash a final finishing kick at the end. And what that equates to is that that second half was maybe run like 10 seconds faster than the first half, but that is technically a negative split. Gotcha. All right. And I'm running my first race or so. And I noticed in my race results, I went to the link and it was like, here's your chip time. And then there was a different column that said like, here's your clock or your gun time. Like what's the difference? Yeah. Okay. So the the first time this really came into play for myself was my very first marathon. I ran the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, nice. D.C. And it was the 25th anniversary of the race. And so there were 25,000 people in it. This was my first marathon. I had no business running marathon. So I was way at the back. So the gun goes off. Like I could still hear the announcer. The gun goes off and I'm still standing in place for like a minute, like nothing happened (laughs) for the longest time. And then we slowly started to do a very slow walk and then a faster walk. And then finally we're, you know, running. And I think it took 10 minutes for me to cross the start line. So you can imagine that if 
my official time started when the gun went off, that's going <laughs> to show that it took me 10 minutes longer than it actually did to run the race. So gun time is the time from when the gun goes off, but chip time, usually you have a chip in your bib or way back then, because I think I ran that in the year 2000 and you had to fix it onto your shoe. Um, but anyway, it's when you pass under the, you know, the, the start line, that's beginning your chip time. And right. so in that case, it would be 10 minutes quicker, my chip time. Yeah. And if it was like me and Disney, it was like 35 minutes after, you know, the, really? you know, it starts. Yeah. When you're in, even for my marathon that I was in Corral C, um, yeah, it was, I, I believe it was, yeah, to listen to my episode again, uh, but it was around 30 minutes. It was a long time, right? Like people are starting yeah. like 45 minutes, um, an hour after the actual time. And yeah, that can yeah. get confusing when you're on the course because the time that's showing on the clocks, when you go by, it's like when the first the person, gun time. you know, yeah. <laughs> went through the start line. So you, you got to make sure you're not looking at those times and be like, Oh my goodness, that's my time. Like go by what's on your watch, uh, for your time, which would be like your chip time. Um, yes. hitting the wall bonking. What does it mean? Mm. Yeah. Hitting the wall is essentially it. This comes into play mostly, I would say in the, in the marathon is, you know, you get to that 20 mile mark and you just cannot like something happens. So physiologically what happens is you've run out of glycogen, the, the energy that you're using to, to power yourself through the marathon. It's just sort of bottomed out and, um, probably because of, a uh, lack of fueling properly during the race. Um, maybe it's because of mismanaging your energy going out too fast. So this all contributes or maybe you My didn't first train marathon. properly for the race. There, there's <laughs> a lot of different contributors, but um, if you've hit the wall, you know, like people talk about this all the time. And if you're like, uh, did I, I'm not sure if I hit the wall in your marathon, you didn't hit the wall. If you don't know that you did, it's a, <laughs> it's a distinct feeling of a very heavy, tired, dead legs, just an inability to make them go uh, no matter how much you're telling them to go. They just will not. All right. And PR or PB. Which one is it? And yeah. What's the difference? <laughs> well, PR stands for personal record and PB stands for personal best. So this is just a way that you can say, oh, my personal best in the marathon is whatever time. So it's your your best effort over said distance. And I would say, because I, I heard yours and Kim's conversation on your podcast about this, I would say they're the same thing. But for some reason in the States, we use PR all the time. And apparently... In Canada, they use PB, except for where you live, right? Your province is like... No, no, my province still uses PB. It's my province that uses miles, where oh, okay. the rest of Canada okay. uses kilometers. But I, I would say broadly, metric countries tend to use PB. Right. I have noticed my UK runners use PB a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But do you ever say, like, when I should go back and listen to your, your episode where you set your... PR in the marathon? Do you actually say I set my personal record? No, I've or when you're saying it all like out? Yeah, but you say PR, right? But yes. then when you're saying the full thing, you say personal best. Yes, yeah, or the Is fastest that weird? time that I ran. <laughs> <laughs> it was the fastest marathon ever that yeah. I ran. <laughs> That's my PR. I could, I could see what, how that could be very confusing to somebody just taking up the sport. Like, right. what, what do you mean? He just said PR and then he said personal best. So what's a PR? <laughs> All right. No. You kind of defined this earlier, but how about BQ? What the heck is a BQ? BQ is a Boston qualifier. So I Boston qualified. So if, so 
do you want me to get into talking about Boston a little yeah, bit? Yeah, you think can give a brief, brief synopsis. Yeah, so the Boston Marathon is is this like iconic race, a very old marathon, maybe one of the oldest. It is. And um, it's a very popular one that a lot of people want to run. So Boston has said, okay, if you want to run it, you've got to run it in a certain time standard. So there's different time standards across gender and, and different age categories and everything. So I'll just use my own example. So I'm a 45 to 49 category. So I would have to run three hours and 50 minutes or faster to BQ, to Boston qualify. Now, let's say I run a marathon in three hours and 49 minutes and 59 seconds. So yay, I BQ'd. That may or may not get me into the race. Okay, so for the last two years, so 2022 and 2023, if I ran 349.59, I would have been accepted into the race with that qualifying time. That's a one second buffer. Okay, like one second faster than the the BQ. Um, If you want to get into the 2024 race, which the window has closed, but the people getting into this year's race in a couple months had to have run five minutes and 29 seconds or faster than their BQ in order to be accepted into the race. That's how many people applied to run Boston this year, which is bonkers. Like that's the second highest cutoff um, BQ that buffer that they've ever had. And the only other year that was higher was that um, COVID year where they only accepted right they limited f- numbers two thirds of the people that that they normally do so yeah that's that's the bq and that's the the buffer so do you have any follow-up questions to yeah that? No. it, it so can it be is, very confusing yeah it is based upon demand essentially and they limit the numbers even though it's a big marathon it's not fifty thousand big like new york or you know that chicago's getting up to now right they yeah. they do limit it's those 30. numbers mm-hmm. yeah it's in the 30s um yep. And the demand is just there, right? Just internationally, right? Runners come from all over the world to run Boston. And it's kind of one of those bucket list items. If you're a runner, you've been doing it for a long time. Like I know myself, like I eventually want to run that course. Um, So it is one of those things. And uh, yeah, but it does create a lot of stress for a lot of runners who are chasing the unicorn, as they say, um, or chasing that BQ. And then they finally get it. And they've been trying for like many years, many races, many attempts. And then they're just at the the will of whatever the BAA says is like going to be the buffer, right? And if they actually get the opportunity to run the race. Um, Yeah, exactly. Some big controversy this year and a lot of different thoughts and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we won't go there. Don't have the answers. (laughs) (laughs) I feel for everyone that works so hard to to qualify. And I think sort of the pushback of it is like, why set this time standard if that doesn't even if you're still going to have to be an unknown amount of time faster than that sometimes. And then other times they let everybody in. So it's. it's it's hard and i see it from boston's perspective as well so it's tricky yeah and this last last one that we'll do here hopefully it's been super helpful for people uh last one i saw someone post this on instagram i remember like a couple years ago and it was like i think it said it in their bio it was like six star finisher and i was oh, like yeah. stars like what is military like what are we like six star general yeah. i don't know what are we talking about here um they're like a runner um so what is six star finisher 
So there's a um, six world major marathons. So you, we just talked about Boston, and then you've probably heard of New York and Chicago. Those are the North American ones. Then there's Tokyo, London, and Berlin. So the, those are the six world major marathons. If you do them all, you get a special medal that's quite coveted, and uh, um, you get this special six-star finisher medal. So it's kind of a big deal. Not many people in the world have done it. And some people make that a goal is to do all six world majors. I love it. When were you going to get Canada in like one of those major marathons? Like what the heck? Why did we leave Canada out, right? I don't know. I don't know. That's a really good question. Goodness, my friend Carolyn, north of the border. They left you guys out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that one of your goals? Because I know you've run a couple of them. Um, well, you've run Boston. You've run I Chicago. Run Boston. I haven't run Chicago, but I'm running it this year. Right. Okay. This so year. So I'll you have two stars. New York? Um, no. Nope. I've never okay. run New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. I, I don't know that it is. I don't know if I'll okay. pursue the six All stars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be cool. I think it would be cool. It's not like something I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to do it. Like, I know definitely I want to run Boston at some point. (laughs) Um, I don't know if we love to travel. So like, why not? Like Tokyo sounds like amazing. And we love the food culture and everything of like Japan. So uh, like, yeah, yeah, like why not run Tokyo Marathon? It's a great great excuse to travel. (laughs) London. Yeah. Like I would love to, I've never visited yet. So why not run a marathon there? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows if I, if I did them, especially the international ones, I wouldn't want to, I would want to really just be there to take it all in. I wouldn't want to try to perform. I don't think because then you're, you're over, you've spent however much money to fly over there. And, and then you're like, no, 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 I, I can't have to be off my feet and right. <laughs> do, do right. everything. And you, whoever's traveled over there with you is like, oh, if they're not a runner, right. They're like, can't we go sightseeing? Like, isn't this why we came? So I don't think that I would, I, when I get to a phase of my life where I'm not trying to perform well, I think that could be extremely appealing, but not now. <laughs> yes. So, Carolyn, thank you so much. This has been great. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you for sharing all of your running 101 terminology (laughs) with our Healthy Runner community. I hope it was helpful. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks again. Yeah, and thank you guys for listening. Uh, Whether you're doing this during the run, you're watching the video version on our Spark Healthy Runner YouTube channel. Uh, I appreciate you. And as always, let's maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and let's just keep on running. Until next time. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Healthy Runner Podcast, where we help you get stronger, run faster, and enjoy lifelong injury-free running. If you found this content valuable, here's five ways we can help you grow as a runner for free. One, grab a free copy of our six steps to growing as a runner framework at learn.sparkhealthyrunner.com forward slash grow. Two, follow our Instagram page at sparkhealthyrunner.com. Three, join our free group by searching Healthy Runner in Facebook. Four, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Spark Healthy Runner. 
five. Leave us a five-star review so we can gain access to more experts in the running field and bring those lessons and trainings back here right to you. Don't forget, hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so you don't miss the next episode of Healthy Runner so you can maintain a strong mind, a strong body, and just keep running. Lastly, if you've been struggling with the constant injury cycle, not eating the right foods for running, or not getting faster as a runner, and you are ready to invest in becoming a lifelong injury-free runner, head to sparkhealthyrunner.com forward slash coaching to apply for our one-on-one signature coaching program. Thank you again. I really, truly mean it from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate you for listening and sharing this podcast with a running friend who can use the help. Now go and crush your run today. See you next week.